welcome to Inside White Center. We're really excited to be back. I don't know if um, you all have been enjoying the beautiful weather that we've had uh, lately, but I sure have. So the end of October has been really good to us in, in terms of sunshine and blue skies and fun, I think. But today, Kim Nong and I are on. Yes, yes. How you doing? <laughs> and we are excited to um, introduce and present someone really important to us in our life in White Center. Her name is Sophia Aragon. Aragon. Mm-hmm. And go. she is running for King County Council District 8, which is our district. There you go. Yay! And if you're listening, here's what we're doing, something a little off, a uh, little bit of a pivot. If you listen to this after November 7th, you can reflect back. But what we're hoping to do is get a chance for White Center to hear about these two candidates that's running for this seat so uh first of all thank you for sh- being here you're welcome glad to be here thank awesome. you for the invitation awesome thank you so sophia we would like to begin our show or our time with you by just asking you to maybe introduce yourself okay. and what would you like for us to hear about you sure so I'm Sophia Aragon. I've been serving on the Burien City Council for the last four years and also been mayor the last two years. And both of those terms are coming to an end this December. And so I'm hoping that I bring forward my experience in the city of Burien, which I think overlaps a lot with um, what's happening in White Center simply because we're neighbors. And also my lived experience into King County Council District 8, which does include White Center as well as Burien, Tukwila, parts of Seattle, and Vashon Island. And in terms of priorities, um, I'd like people to know that uh, public safety is my priority. Um, I know that's been a really hot issue with folks for many years, but public safety is a key role of the county as well as the city. And is there room for improvement? Absolutely. So I've been watching and seeing issues with bias, police brutality. And so moving forward, certainly addressing those issues along with the community is really important. The other piece is affordable housing and homelessness. We are facing a crisis. As you all know, the city of Seattle declared a crisis in 2015, almost 10 years ago, and things haven't gotten better. And with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which I'm hoping I'll have a closer relationship with, I've had the opportunity to talk with them a lot and solve problems in Burien that we can work together for a better regional solution. And the other piece, too, is I am concerned around, in terms of a public health issue, um, the um, challenges, our youth, and as this, it's been a South Sound, it's been dis, disproportionately impacting the South Sound as well as our homelessness community is a fentanyl epidemic, which started with opioids as well. And I really would want to add a prevention lens to it. Um, I know that the county and many organizations, were, we are addressing it, the crisis it is. We have a lot of people who are struggling with it. We want them to recover. What do we do to help them recover? Make sure that our overdose numbers are addressed. Um, we're quickly having the highest rates of overdoses in the country, which is incredibly concerning. But we can also do a lot of education so that people know what the risks are and make decisions so that they can see where that might endanger them down the road. 
And for me, that means really reaching out to our youth and for them to also have a say about how that's affecting them and what's the best way that we can work together um, so that we have youth prevention. So those are the things I want to start off with. Wow. Well, just kind of hearing that, I'm wondering, I see that you were a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so what your background as a nurse, how has your background as a nurse and in the um, health field Mm kind of impact this topic of fentanyl? And and the other question I have while you're there is you said um, our our numbers are growing Mm -hmm. to be kind of startling and leading the country. Do you mean the King County numbers? Is that or the state? The state. Okay. Yeah. And okay. you know, most of us live in King County, so yeah. we have the biggest impact here. Mm-hmm. So my experience as a nurse. So I worked in a community health clinic. Well, there's two key experiences I want to talk about. When I was training as a nurse, I was at Harborview Medical Center, and we did a lot of treatment for people who had you know significant drug-related issues. I remember this one gentleman who had heart damage because he was um, addicted to heroin. And one of the things that was really difficult was as a nurse, we always offered services and we wanted him as his next step. So in the hospital, our job was to make sure that his heart was healthy as it can be so that he can go back to living life independently. But we also wanted him to seek treatment. And he said no. And for me as a young nurse, I thought, It was really challenging because here I am offering help, but he would say no. And so I felt that's always kind of stuck with me. And I've also had clients who had injuries, like, for example, a, a, a young man who the other nurses knew him. Now, I didn't know him as well because I was a student. My time there was limited. But he had a significant injury with a needle in his arm where he shot up at an artery instead of a vein. And as a result, he lost that entire arm. And I remember the nurses just being devastated because this is someone that they knew and felt like, you know, they were just so sad that this happened to him. So fast forward, um, I left hospital nursing because I felt like people were coming in. I was expected to fix them well enough to go home, but I knew that there was something else that was happening to them, a much bigger phenomenon, so to speak, before they got to the hospital. I thought, well, maybe I can impact some change there. So I started going into community health. And so I actually went back into the neighborhood I grew up, which was actually South Seattle in the Rainier Valley. And there we had, you know, immigrant population, very diverse um, clientele. Some even struggled with homelessness and not really having a home, being transient from time to time. And we also had people who were struggling with drug abuse there as well as mental health. Um, But with drug abuse, we could see where patients would come in and they would ask for certain medications. And me as a nurse working with a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant, um, they were, they kind of didn't want to work with folks who would name certain medications with opioids in it because it was to them, it's like, oh, they're they're drug-seeking, we can't. And what me was really bothering was like the sense that we couldn't really do anything for them, which Mm. was really disturbing to me. But I saw that enough. So to me, I'm describing to you what happens when someone goes really far down the line in that cycle of 
substance use disorder. And so that's why I want to work more upstream so that people have more education about what this is. And the substance use challenges we're dealing with today are very different from what we were dealing with with the 80s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. And we need to incorporate that for sure. Um, And so I totally understand when people like with the war on drugs that didn't work. It's like, but we also need to understand we're in a different situation. And so what do we need to do differently to be more effective? Let me ask you that. I think you mentioned many things that's on the mind of folks within this area, right? We talk about mental health. Uh, We talk about homelessness. um, Mm -hmm. And then we're all talking about drugs also. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a way, we can kind of all say they're connected or not. Mm -hmm. But uh, there seems to be like that's a connection in some way, somehow. Um, From the position of a person representing council, is there room to make an impact on that with the Mm -hmm. amount of time that you have? And if so... What would be some practical ways that a council member could impact that immediately? And I'm just mm-hmm. kind of put it, put into this perspective here in White Center. Uh, we we have we had homeless shelter here before, up to about a year ago. That mm-hmm. uh, we do have um, we do have camps, um, mm-hmm. official ones and unofficial ones, and then we do have a lot of feeding programs and we do have a lot of guerrilla camps around the ponds and whatnot. And then we do see a lot of our um, community workers that has bared the brunt of not only doing their job, also facilitating yeah. help in this at the libraries, yeah. at the right. uh, yes. the parks, um, and so on. Um, what are some ways immediately mm-hmm. um, that that could be impacted or supported or, or just the issue to be allevi- alleviated from that position that that council mm-hmm. holds? Mm-hmm. Well, and it is a challenge to do things immediately. However, what I've been doing at Burien City Council, and I think this is transferable types of problem solving to the county, is that we have literally, my last count was like nine outreach organizations in Burien trying to help people navigate from homelessness to a more stable place. And I put that in three categories. They either need more stable housing, they either need mental health treatment, or they need substance use treatment and recovery. And so we've been watching outreach workers about, so what are some things that we see that are particularly effective? So one, and this is just during the last year, and this is because of relationships. For example, we had Chief Seattle Club come in and and say, what can you do to help with this population? And one of the things that they educated us on was um, that there are certain benefits that those with Native American ancestry can access that nobody else can have. So they came in and they interviewed those, and this was back when we had an encampment on 4th and 152nd, and they were able to connect some people with services. Now, we hadn't been able, we wouldn't be able to do that unless they came in. Another group, CMAR, we had a discussion and they said, you know, there we do have some involuntary treatment beds that are available for those who qualify. But that's sort of the trick. It's like they need to go and make an assessment and see who qualifies. So they're still doing that work, and it's still kind of ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the more immediate things, because we do have things like tiny homes and pallet shelters, is what I've seen in working with King County Regional Homelessness Authority is that they didn't put any emphasis, not that 
they intended not to. Their goals was long-term affordable housing for folks. Mm -hmm. But being on Beauty City Council, we started our own affordable housing building, I don't know, two to four years ago, and none of them are online. And what that shows you is it takes a long time for those structures to come up. So there needs to be some kind of an interim place where people can come inside, get what they need, but it's only interim until we can get them to that more permanent place of independence, whether it's more affordable housing um, or treatment that they need so that they're stable, they're back on their feet, and they can take care of themselves and their family. So that interim space, I think, is where King County could really help. The other thing I think is crucial, because I have not seen this yet, because King County is a good umbrella organization for all the communities that are within it. So earlier we talked about there's part of downtown Seattle, there's Vashon Island, there's White Center, there's Burien, there's Tukwila, there's the International District. There's even parts of Seattle that are very distinct. And to really bring communities together and say, what can we do together as a region to solve this so it doesn't happen randomly to certain neighborhoods? Like, for example, White Center and Burien, because we're right next to Seattle, we can easily get migration out of the city into um, our areas. Mm-hmm. And then people just sort of look to us, say, like, well, what are we going to do? And I think communities can, are much better off working with other communities to say, how could we work together on this instead of just sort of, okay, White Center, these folks just kind of landed where you are. You take care of them, you know, right. all by yourself. So that's, I think, one of the immediate things is counties, the county could be more of a convener to all the communities so we can really address it as a regional issue. Does that not happen right now? No, I don't think so. I think wow. that, I think... <laughs> No, it's discouraging. It is. But, and I'm not really sure what the mindset, well, first of all, the King County Regional Homelessness Authority is really young. So I think we should kind of put it in that framework that they're still trying to put together what is our role. Right. But now that we've had a couple of years of experience with them, we can kind of see what they've been doing, which is there hasn't been a table where regional um, communities can get together and sit. I think they started one, but they haven't really had any influence, and I honestly don't know who's on there. Um, And they sort of give money here and there, um, but there's not, like, this coordination going on. And Mm -hmm. I think that is just the next step. It's sort of like, okay, we've been online for a couple of years. Why don't we learn from what's happened and how could we do it better moving forward. Is that a government entity, a nonprofit? What is this? It's a governmental entity, the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. And it's run by King County. It's run by King County and certain cities like Seattle put funding in it first okay. to so that um, the Regional Homelessness Authority right. can help manage like the shelter system, Got for it. example. But I think since then one other city has joined up and but you have to I think you pay into a fund. Okay. Um, and then they bring you into the circle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, very interesting to kind of hear the different ways that we could begin to tackle this. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear you mentioning housing. Yeah. And I, I love hearing that. But um, the word housing in itself is so light, but the actual mm-hmm. work of housing in itself is so heavy. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, I don't 
see too much light at the end of this tunnel. Mm-hmm. And describe to me from uh, um, a council member's perspective, how can policy encourage housing for family, mm-hmm. especially in this region, this area? Yeah. Uh, not just for renters, not just for homeowners. Not, you just like oh. If there's an overall thought that you've been thinking through, we would mm-hmm. love to hear that. Well, I think an understanding is, and I think you're right in terms of housing is a really broad term. And I've just learned so much about the different types of housing and who they serve. So affordable housing is a giant umbrella. So if we look at zero to percent area median income, so that's kind of a measure of the person's income. We're talking about assisting people who have pretty limited benefits. They're either social security or veterans benefits, and they have some disabilities that prevents them from working to a level where they can get market rate housing. For example, those who are chronically homeless because of mental health or substance use. And then there's zero to 50%. That's another level. And then there's workforce housing, which my understanding is zero to 60%. And then there's 80% and above. And I just think that we have to have an eye out on how, how many of each and how are we distributing those types of housing equitably across our region. Because we have folks in that whole spectrum everywhere, right? And so I think one of the struggles, and I was talking to kind of unique communities like, and I'm sure White Center is one of them, but like the International District and Georgetown and Pioneer Square, just kind of asking questions about, we get a lot of assistance in the zero to 30, zero to 50, which by the way, requires a lot of government funding and assistance because private developers say they're unable to pencil that out. Um, And then at the 80% to commercial level, where we can help is make sure the multifamily tax exemption still exists, because that actually helps Burien build the commercial and affordable housing mix at the same time. And that actually has been the one that seems to be able to be more buildable, more accessible. And I say that because it seems like a project takes one to one and a half years versus the very low income because they have to cobble together so much government funding, state and federal mainly, and the county, that it may take a really long time because these organizations have to pull that funding in. So I think the, what the county could do is look across all of its communities and saying, are we equitably distributing all types of these housing everywhere? Hmm. And how do we best do that? How, how do you do that? Because yeah. real estate is still a private sector in, in its truest form. Mm-hmm. So we hear the theory mm-hmm. from policies, practices. How do you help guide that to become reality? Like, yeah, you know... Um, does everybody want to live in those commercial 80s, you know, like that might not be the best fit. Um, how does that or what is typically organic process becomes a little bit more guided through mm-hmm. government assistance? Yeah. Or guidance? Well, I think with White Center, so cities like Buren in Seattle, we actually have something like a comprehensive plan where we plan out like 10 to 20 years. What do we want our cities to look like? And then it's a blueprint. Like one example is in Burien, we want to make sure density is in these main thoroughfares the most, like Ambom, First Avenue, because that's where all our buses go through. That's where most of the traffic goes through to get people in and out. 
For White Center, because you're unincorporated, you rely a lot more on the county to do that planning for you. So you need to make sure that we have really good representation and voice for White Center because that's always the question for any community is when we're talking about density and affordable housing, all these components, how does it work best to develop it in White Center? Because what is good for White Center isn't necessarily what Burien needs, isn't what necessarily in Seattle needs. And because you're directly with the county, you have a unique ability to be directly involved. And so my question is whether the county has a system to directly involve White Center. And if they do, is it being representative of your voices to saying, this is how it would work for us? I have a flood of thoughts right now. Let, let, let it flood away. Yeah, back. go ahead. <clears throat> well, I think, and I really could be wrong in all of this, but I think uh, King County Local Services was part of listening the the way that uh, White Center could be listened to, right? And just, I think the White Center CDA does a good job of um, collecting voices and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. keeping their finger on the pulse of what the community is saying and what the community wants. I think White Center CDA does a good job, but I bl- I think you're right about um, how can we sort of be more part of the system, you know, you know, like how, how can we make sure the, the flag goes up when the question is asked, you know, yeah. what, what do our cities need? How does White Center sort of, get in there and i'm also thinking about fashion island too mm-hmm. the other unincorporated area in district eight yeah and so mm-hmm. the other thing i'm thinking too sophia is listening to um you talk about burian and then and then white center and i'm wondering do you how do you anticipate moving your work from just the city um centric mm-hmm. to the district yeah. that involves two unincorporated areas and, you know, these other cities, the, these other yeah. municipalities that you no longer represent just the voice of Burien, but that you, mm-hmm. you know, you could represent mm-hmm. all of us. Like, do you mm-hmm. feel, yeah, how do you feel that that can go? Are you yeah. looking forward to that? Is that a challenge? You know, what are the yeah. things that you're thinking about needing to shift? Well, I think what's challenging is that people see me as part of the Burien City Council. I think that's part of like, but I saw her there for four years Mm -hmm. now, and it's like, I can't think of her in anything different, but Mm -hmm. that's because I haven't been in that position yet. But, you know, growing up, so this is a story that some people would be like, don't share that story. It doesn't. But my parents, so when I grew up in South Seattle, and finally affordable housing was available back in the late 80s, because they widened I-90, people started moving east. Um, we actually landed on the Issaquah Plateau. Can you believe it or not? That wow. was affordable yeah. housing back What year then. was that? Hey. 1988. Wow. wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? So oh my, my goodness, parents' house, it never moved for 30 years. They're both past now. But okay. in the 30 years they owned that house, it was unincorporated. Mm. Huh. And so looking back, so, you know, here I was a teenager. I didn't realize. But you... Everyone, I think, has a sense of how successful those communities have been on the east side. Yeah. But it started with King County. Mm. It was all infrastructure. They built the roads. Mm. They provided the um, public safety. They're still dependent on the sheriff's office. Parks was that thing. The transportation was all county. And actually, when my, my mom aged out, 
she relied on the buses to get back and forth from Seattle because that's where her friends were, right? So I knew, I, looking back, I thought, you know what, if the county does right with a community, it can help it grow to be successful. Mm -hmm. So in the 30 years, it was unincorporated, and frankly, nobody wanted us because a whole bunch of people moved at once, and the cities were like, I don't think we can handle you. Mm -hmm. Finally, Issaquah took it on, and then finally, Sammamish took it on. I'm like, I could never say I'm from Sammamish because they just, <laughs> they, they didn't want us. We didn't, you know. Yep. Um, but you, to me, that's a lesson, like, if we do things right we can really set up communities for success. In Burien, because we're so young, we just incorporated in the mid-90s. King County still owns a lot of land, more land than the city does, actually. In Burien. Yes, so it actually has a lot of implications for how affordable housing and housing in general uh, uh, develops in Burien because it's a lot of it is county land. Same with transportation Can areas. You, like, so, for instance, where is some of the county land that's in Burien? Uh, like the transportation center, the bus center, Metro Bus Center. Over there mm -hmm. on 150? 148th, yeah. between 4th and yeah. I think back to That's county first. land. That's county land. Really? Yeah. Domino's Pizza. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's how I know that's that landmark. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, you know, just from exp just ha what's happening now is that Burien has very little say about this, the transit center, which we all recognize when it was first being built. Yes, that's what we needed. But then over time, it wasn't really utilized very mm. much. So now that land is very valuable and there's very little of it, as you pointed out, what are some better uses? And, of course, all in, on our minds is affordable housing. And... But the county just kind of goes in, but we're not really engaged in that. And I just think there needs to be more engagement. With the Better uses of that land in particular? Yeah, really? because it's not really being used. Wow. Yeah. You're talking about the land right next to Big Five, right? Like on uh, the backside of Big Five. Yeah, and by like Bartels and mm. LA Fitness, all of that. Huh. And so here's the city kind of being like, well, we have some ideas and it's right. still formulating. Mm. And then the county comes out with an RFP and we're like, well, there probably should be some discussion because, you know, our folks will be impacted. And so can we do that? Yeah. So we're going through a little bit of a rezoning right now. Right. Um, we're going through a little bit of that conversation. I think on a different scale because we're county, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think me and Pat will probably get checked by all our peers, maybe yep. potentially canceled if we don't ask you the question yeah. that a lot of folks want to know is every time there's governmental kind of implication when it comes to development, mm -hmm. um, there's, this, there's this trendy word of gentrification, which can mean mm -hmm. a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's beauty that comes with it. A lot of stuff looks better. A lot of things become particularly safer mm -hmm. um but there's on the other side i think for the traditional communities has been around for the longest time uh typically get the short end of the stick and then we go into a more deeper conversation of displacement mm -hmm. um i think as we go through that in white center what do you think is the things that is probably that we need to be aware of um what are the things that county could support to make sure that doesn't happen mm -hmm. um and you know, what, what would those steps look like? Yeah. Well, I think of a lot of things because you're, you're totally correct in that what's wrong with gentrification is even though there are some good things, those neighborhoods become inaccessible. They're not affordable. People can't afford the property taxes on there because they used to live there. So I'm just going to say that we do have an upside-down tax system, but I'm going to park that because that's a job for our legislators. And I think we have legislators that advocate for that um, 
that our taxism just really does help with the displacement. So when it comes to gentrification, I've seen a few models that I think would be helpful. So one is in terms of keeping things affordable and affordable housing, there is like the more use of land trusts, which keeps the the cost of the housing and the land low for future generations. However, those who buy into it, they actually gain equity. And if we're going to use the system which happens now, a lot of the way generational wealth is created is through equity. So I think that's one thing that we can think about. The other thing we can think about is the mixed commercial and um, affordable housing apartment complexes. So that's the that's the rental side of it. The land trust is the home ownership side of it. And so that way you have a mix of different types of community levels in rental complexes so people aren't shut out. So we know that there's pieces of that for them. The other piece is a model that I've seen the city, the city of Seattle is actually trying out where there's a program <clears throat> to help small businesses keep their rents affordable with work with the city. Um, so that they're not pushed out and they're able to stay. So those are some three ideas I think people need to be mindful about is, you know, how do we support the change in the growth of a community um, and buffer against that gentrification? Another thing is a, a story I'll tell. I was doorbelling in West Seattle the other day and, you know, I was handing my literature to this man and he's like, I don't want to hear about affordable housing. He goes, see all that stuff up there? So he was he was a, 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 probably a cottage house, 1920s, and about two blocks from California Avenue, which people complain now looks like a canyon because there's so many high-rises going up. And I, what I said was, well, I can see the city's logic because they're trying to build density right where all the traffic is. But I think that also means that we need to preserve some of the neighborhoods because eventually families go through different stages and they should have some options, right? So he felt like at least I recognize that we're not going to turn everything into high-rise condominiums, you know, but that we should thoughtfully be like, put the really dense residential areas where there's a lot of transportation, but mm -hmm. still preserve some neighborhoods so when families want that option, it could be there. Um, but that's that constant tension that we need to deal with as city and county. So um, I think when when that comes to play, we see a little bit of a change, not only in neighborhoods, but we also see a little bit of change um, within the commercial district here mm -hmm. also. Um, how does a community stay influential in how they design commercial districts? Mm -hmm. um, how does council support that? Um, we, we have a very thriving commercial district. One can argue if it represents White Center or not, <laughs> or if it just, you know, like that's a debate for another day. <laughs> um, but my question to you is there, there are some that represent it well, and then there's some that maybe might not so well. Um, how does, how, how does, from your position, um, how's, how can that be supported? Well, I think interestingly enough, I've talked to a lot of chambers of commerce that actually support um, business people of color or different cultures. Yeah, we don't have one. Um, well, it would be <laughs> great to, well, here's, 
Well, one idea for the community to decide is whether they could create one. So there's not a white center chamber of commerce. Ineffective. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not official. Is there a the, BIA business improvement area? Not, not I haven't heard no, that term. So the white center CDA um, mm -hmm. does a lot of work in the mm -hmm. economic district and bringing businesses to the table and gathering businesses. And I think that the the small businesses right there in the business core, the economic core of White Center, I think that they have good relation. It feels like they have good relationships with each mm -hmm. other. I don't think that there's a official. official chamber of commerce in action, and I I might be wrong, but but I feel like there are, there are business owners who unofficially have each other's backs, and they do yeah. things together, and they're constantly um, trying to innovate ways to you know, work together, but okay. I, I don't think we've had a great uh, history with the Chamber of Commerce. I'm just going to tell, yeah. tell you a story many, many, many years ago, and I'm not going to tell you the when, because I don't want anybody to pinpoint when it was. <laughs> I went to a Chamber of Commerce meeting, White Center Chamber of Commerce meeting, my first one, my first Chamber of Commerce meeting ever. I'd never been to one before. I'm in White Center. I thought I should go, and I went and the president was stepping down, and somebody looked at me and said, would you be interested in running for president? Is that your first meeting? Yeah, I didn't even know the business. Well, Sophia, you're speaking to the unofficial <laughs> mayor slash uh, yeah, so Chamber of Commerce. That was my introduction into the Chamber of wow. Commerce uh, world. I know that the also the businesses in White Center are close with the West Seattle Chamber of Commerce that there's, you know, kind of makes sense. this kind of thing happening. So yeah. it's been good. I, I So I feel like though there isn't an official Chamber of Commerce in action, I know that there there's a groundswell of businesses that are working together. Well, I think, well, first of all, Chambers of Commerce are private entities, Yes. you know, so let's keep that in mind. And so the question is where does King County yeah. fit? And I think that, and talking back to my discussion with chambers of commerce that advocate for um, diverse yeah. um, business members, I think it's kind of amazing that King County doesn't have an office of economic development. It's kind of amazing to me. Now, they cities, don't have one? They don't. Now, cities do, like Burien does. And what the beauty of that is, is we can give technical assistance. Like, for example, when COVID was um, hitting businesses hard, and they needed assistance that the the funds ran out really quick. But because if you're a business owner that spoke perfect English, techno technologically proficient, you got the dollars really quick. And we started seeing a need because we have a lot, a lot of minority-run businesses mm. that they didn't have that. They were, in fact, a disadvantage because they, they had language issues. They had technology issues. And so the city began... Um, providing that technical assistance so that they, the next round, and luckily there was a next round, the businesses were positioned for those funds. And I also think that the county, again, just like housing, if we can take like a regional approach about, so where are those commercial centers? Like White Center definitely has one on 16th. How do you strengthen those in terms of like what the county can do um, traditionally like infrastructure, right, mm -hmm. to help it grow? And also there's cultural dollars that come from the county. And why doesn't that support those unique attributes of a community that show up in their commercial centers 
and make sure that they survive and do really well. Because you know the, sorry, uh, oh, go ahead. You say cultural dollars, cultural dollars, okay. like either four culture dollars or there's cultural dollars from a proposed portion of the sales tax that can go to communities. Um, and so I think those things could need to be thought of as how can the county support local, I'll just call it local economic and commercial centers so that we can really elevate like the unique, because everyone knows how unique White Center's mm-hmm. commercial district is. And we also know that it has suffered a lot from COVID mm-hmm. and fires and all of those things. So how can we help you rebuild and also sustain and continue to grow moving forward? And I think the county just not having like an economic development arm really doesn't do that. But it, if it does so, and again, brings in those unique businesses so they have a voice, I think there's a lot of potential for the county to assist these commercial centers. Do you see yourself being able to impact that? And if so, what would mm-hmm. you think is the best strategy for that? Yeah. Just within the, the current climate of how the bureaucratic King County operation is going. Oh, yeah. Well, I think... You know, the, sometimes the best thing government can do is convene and bring people together. So number one, bring everyone that I've heard this theme from at the table and, and really say, I want, and they hear from them about what can we do to support you? Because only White Center could speak for White Center, you know, and know its unique challenges. We can't presume what you need to be successful. So we need to have that kind of convening with you all at the table and then develop strategies from there. Okay. I think that's a really immediate. And just just in this campaign cycle, I felt like I've met so many people with this same thought that I wouldn't have met before, that I have a good start, but we definitely can recruit more people. Good. Shifting gears. I think we need to talk about law enforcement, yeah. public safety. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to even cue it up because right. we, we know that's your thing. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I'll ask some questions, Pat, okay. if you have follow up, but, um, actually, you know what? Just, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sophia. Well, well, I think that is something that has been the biggest complaint to me, to other people about what's going on. Um, we know that there's a shortage, right? So we're struggling with recruitment and retention. And we also looking back, you know, when, the George Floyd murder happened, that there was a lot of awareness that there needs to be a lot of improvement around how police interact with community, and that is a piece of ongoing work. So those are the two things that need to be addressed is the shortage and our lack of law enforcement and and community voices saying we don't have enough to feel safe, and then how can we improve the law enforcement workforce so that there is a better relationship, communication, and the community actually feels like they're supported by them. I feel like the conversation around defunding the police, I never really, I didn't, I don't think I fully got my thinking done with that. (laughs) But what I do know is I feel like funding, what what needs funding in the law enforcement is training. You know, that, like, I'm concerned that when we talk about funding, do we just mean more making sure we have more police officers which i think we probably need there's a thought that we need more Mm -hmm. but i i want to make sure that the people that are employed by you know king county and by seattle are actually have access and actually are trained in the way that they need to be trained 
And so like afford or funding wise, I don't know how much of that would go to that, but that would be my thought is just. So. Yeah. What, what do you mean when you're talking about money connected to something? Yeah. What, what is that money being connected to funding? And, you know, yeah. we started a conversation of during that era, there's a lot of stuff that happened. More funding amplifies everything that currently happens. But in your mind, what are you seeing could potentially happen with more funding? Well, and first of all, some of the things that I just want to emphasize with folks is cities and counties are responsible for law enforcement, which is why our budgets can look really big because nobody else pays for that. Okay. I completely agree with your statement that it's not just bodies on the ground and we count, oh, okay, we have enough because we reach the number, but training is a really key component because the workforce needs to develop alongside the needs of the community, right? right? So if you have a more diverse community where you see different languages spoken, and for so back to my experience in Burien that I feel like is really applicable to King County is that we've been really intentional on hiring bilingual police officers mm -hmm. that are more reflective of the, the largest group in our community, which is the Hispanic and Latino community. So we have bilingual officers out there engaging with parents, talking about their concerns about their children, providing some education to let the community members know, like, so what else do you do besides arrest people for crimes? Because they are out there doing some outreach and actually developing a relationship because the community members can actually be really good flags about what's happening, right? Like their concerns with their kids and letting officers know what their concerns are and hopefully have some joint problem solving. But I absolutely agree with you that training is part of that investment that needs to happen in the future mm -hmm. and not just bodies out there. So is there a shortage of funds that cannot happen? Like, it, it, it does sound like, yeah, it's training. Mm -hmm. um, is it a reorganization of how training is done rather than funds? Well, what we need to talk about is what outcomes do you want to see from the training? It's like, what, because I hear, oh, yeah, we have biased training, but I don't really know what it consists of. So actually, and we never talked about my day job. So my day job is executive director of the Washington Center for Nursing because okay. the Burien City Council is a part-time um, job, and I'm an equal partner paying, you know, mortgage and all of that stuff. And you definitely need training so that the current workforce actually develops with the community and we can actually address really current needs, like, for example, how our patients are just much more diverse and speak different languages hmm. and actually promote that, you know, nurses who are bilingual are a real asset. You know, nurses with cultural backgrounds, how do you weave that into the work that they do? And the same, I think, we can do with any workforce, including law enforcement. Have you, have you heard the term restorative justice? I have heard the term restorative okay, so justice. So where do you... How do you perceive that? Like, where, mm -hmm. where does that play into public yeah. safety for you? Well, I think it's an, it's an important piece of it. But back to our previous conversation, too, when we talk about children who are at risk for being criminally involved, we also need to really look at that component mm -hmm. way upstream so that kids who are in situations where we know that they have a higher probability than other kids of being criminal, just, criminally justice involved um, have that support so that they have a different path. Like here's an example out of public health is called nurse family partnership where nurses with moms who are trying to come back out in the community and they have kids, really young kids, 
and really give support to that mom. And it's actually been shown and it's a partnership with law enforcement to be really effective. But there hasn't been adequate investment, but at least we have an example of what can be so that we can really set a better path and opportunity for kids when they're younger. Not to, re not to remove from restorative justice and those types of uh, efforts, but thinking about what other pieces are missing. Can I ask about the statement? Can you tell me what common sense reform means? Cause, oh, common sense reform. Yeah, I, we see that, mm -hmm. but it's open to interpretation. We yeah. can all have whatever Sophia yeah. might be stating as common sense, yeah. but what is common sense reform to you that you well, want us to know? Well, here's a really good example. I think our people are really frustrated with either zero response time when something bad is happening to them and they want a response from law enforcement. And so... One common sense reform is that when someone calls out to get assistance from law enforcement, they should have a pretty quick response. So when we didn't have a shortage in those days, it was like seven minutes. Somebody actually gets back to you and say, what's happening? And so that's an example, I think, of really common sense is that everybody feels like when something happens to their shop, if something happens at their house, if something happens, you know, like the Wing Luke Museum, for example, that... You know, people that law enforcement actually come and give you assistance. So that's, I think, the biggest example that I want to share and see. That's good. Let's <laughs> let's. What do you want? What do you want, folks in White Center to know? We're we're getting ready to yeah. to do this uh, yeah. next week. Well, I think for, I think that what I hear over and over again is that there needs to be a rep better representation in county that the risk of being unincorporated is you lack, right, that sort of direct line to the King County Council. And that's something that I definitely want to work towards. Um, I think it's also a work in progress. I can't say I know everybody in White Center that I need to know. Mm -hmm. And I'll need the community's help to help me, help me understand voices across the spectrum, who I need to know um, that better represents you, and also what are the best ways to engage in the community in White Center if I were to be successful so that I can have a really accurate pulse of what's happening. Right. Well, thank you so much for spending your day with us or this hour with us. It's been really awesome to hear you and listen to what you're thinking and what your hopes are for um, King County. And good luck for next week. <laughs> I haven't filled out my ballot yet. Yeah. It's in my office. So. I, was, I was waiting for the two interviews. To <laughs> Me first. too. Just yeah, so. uh, but thank you very much for your time. Uh, very um, big opportunity for White Center just to hear more about it. We've never done this before. No, so we haven't. Thank you for saying yes to sitting down with us and sharing uh, your vision and what you want to do for that area. Yeah, And I really appreciate you um, bringing me in and and having this discussion, I just feel like it was really open and you were open to having just kind of a, a free talk, which is really helpful. And I'll just say one more plug because Burian has, you know, was unincorporated not too long ago. And there's sort of this stepchild feeling that people have. And I just want to know that I want people to know that I understand that and really the work to represent Areas like White Center and Burien is going to take a lot of work, and I just hope that people are on board with me if I'm successful. Awesome. Definitely, you can you can come back here too. You can meet the other four. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank well, you. thank you, Sophia. This is Inside White Center. It's been great to be with Sophia Aragon and.
And remember to fill out your ballots. Thank you.